Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Today we have a great revenge story all about just flexing on your ex. We'll get into that in a bit, but first, never steal a person's codes. My name is Morgan Hughes and wherever I am, in the last 5-8 to eight years, I stand out as a luminary software developer with an uncanny ability to turn intricate lines of code into technological marvels. My latest project, a groundbreaking algorithm designed to revolutionize data encryption, had sent ripples of excitement throughout the industry. My workspace, nestled in the heart of quantum innovations, mirrored my innovative mindset. The office, bathed in the soft glow of neon accents, hummed with the constant energy of creativity and collaboration. My desk, adorned with dual monitors and cluttered with circuit boards, was a testament to my tireless dedication to the craft. Amid the sea of ambitious minds, I found a kindred spirit in Nolan Ryder, a colleague with a sharp intellect and a shared passion for pushing the boundaries of technology. Our friendship was palpable. Forged in late-night coding sessions and animated discussions about the limitless possibilities of our field, the groundbreaking project, codenamed Safeguard, promised to redefine data security by employing a revolutionary encryption algorithm. As Nolan and I delved into the intricate details of Safeguard, our collaborative synergy became the backbone of the project's success. The initial stages saw the project gaining momentum, garnering attention not only within quantum innovations, but also from industry experts who marveled at the potential impact of our work. Within the confines of quantum innovations, Nolan and I became synonymous with innovation and progress. Our success was celebrated by colleagues and superiors alike, as Safeguard seemed poised to elevate both our careers to unprecedented heights. But this was all a lie. As quantum innovations continued to buzz with excitement over the success of Safeguard, I couldn't help but notice the subtle shifts in Nolan's demeanor. The once shared ambition for success had morphed into a quiet jealousy, lurking beneath the surface of our collaborative efforts. Nolan's eyes, once filled with genuine enthusiasm, now gleamed with a covetous glint each time the spotlight shone on me. The pivotal moment arrived during a high-stakes presentation to Quantum Innovation's top brass. As I stood before the gathered executives, ready to showcase Safeguard's capabilities, Nolan seized the opportunity to betray our partnership. With a calculated smirk, Nolan smoothly interjected, claiming the algorithm as solely his creation. Shock reverberated through the room, and my protests were drowned out by Nolan's persuasive rhetoric. In the blink of an eye, Safeguard, the culmination of countless hours of joint effort, became Nolan's triumph. The executives, enthralled by his charismatic presentation, readily embraced his narrative. I was left standing in the shadows of my own creation, the credit stolen from me by the person I considered a friend and collaborator. But you see, maybe that was my undoing. I should never have seen Nolan as anything more than a friend. A colleague was enough to classify him, but I had to learn that the hard way. The impact on my professional reputation was immediate and devastating. Colleagues, once eager to collaborate, now eyed me with skepticism. The whispers of betrayal echoed through the corridors, casting doubt on my abilities and tarnishing the once pristine image I had carefully cultivated. The emotional toll was equally profound. A sense of betrayal gnawed at my core, and the workplace that had once been a haven now felt like a battleground. 
As Safeguard's success continued to skyrocket under Nolan's false stewardship, I grappled with the dual burden of a damaged reputation and the emotional wounds inflicted by the betrayal of someone I had trusted implicitly. I had to reclaim what was rightfully mine. With my determination fueled by a burning desire for justice, I delved into a period of meticulous planning and exhaustive research. The first step was to gather concrete evidence of my indispensable contributions to Safeguard. Late nights were spent meticulously combing through code repositories, documenting every line that bore my fingerprints, and every algorithmic innovation that was a testament to my skill. The development of a sophisticated program emerged as the linchpin of my revenge. Armed with a deep understanding of Safeguard's intricacies, I began crafting a program that would not only expose Nolan's deceit, but also lay bare the undeniable truth of our collaborative efforts. The code I crafted was a digital tapestry, intricately woven to reveal the unique fingerprints of my coding style and the unmistakable markers of my intellectual contribution. The challenges during this process were numerous, each line of code a battleground where I fought to extract the essence of my work. There were close calls, instances where Nolan's watchful eyes almost caught wind of my covert operation, stealth and precision became my allies. I navigated the digital landscape like a master thief, leaving no trace of my presence. The fear of my discovery heightened the adrenaline coursing through my veins, but the burning desire for justice propelled me forward. As the sophisticated program took shape, I faced the challenge of ensuring it would withstand scrutiny. Encryption and obfuscation became my allies, as I fortified my creation against any attempts to dismantle or discredit it. The process was an intricate dance of technological prowess and strategic thinking, a battle fought not just in lines of code but also in the shadows of the virtual realm. The gradual unveiling of irrefutable evidence against Nolan became a symphony of revelation, carefully orchestrated to expose the layers of deception. I strategically released snippets of the program, each revelation casting a harsh light on Nolan's false narrative. Colleagues and superiors, initially enamored by his charisma, now witnessed the unassailable proof of my contribution. The reaction within Quantum Innovations was seismic. The once adoring gaze towards Nolan turned into skeptical scrutiny as the undeniable truth surfaced. The evidence spoke louder than any rhetoric, and Safeguard's true architect was finally recognized. Colleagues, once misled, now rallied behind me, and the tide of support began to shift. The unveiling culminated in a high-stakes meeting where I presented the irrefutable evidence to the company's top executives. The room, once witnessed to Nolan's betrayal, transformed into a tribunal of justice. As lines of code danced across the presentation screen, Nolan's facade crumbled. The weight of the evidence bore down on him, and the executives, faced with the undeniable truth, rendered their judgment. The tension within quantum innovations reached a boiling point as the build-up to the confrontation between Nolan and me unfolded. Rumors of a brewing dispute circulated through the office corridors, creating an atmosphere thick with anticipation. Colleagues, once bystanders to our collaboration, now found themselves unwittingly drawn into the unfolding drama. Sensing the opportune moment, I strategically released the first snippets of the evidence planting the seeds of doubt in the minds of those who had blindly embraced Nolan's narrative. The office grapevine buzzed with whispers as cryptic lines of code appeared on internal servers and presentation screens. The effect was immediate. Curiosity transformed into realization, and skepticism replaced blind admiration. 
The workplace, once a canvas of collaboration, now became an arena for the confrontation that had been a long time coming. Nolan, cornered by the mounting evidence, faced a reckoning. The confrontation unfolded in a meeting room where the air crackled with tension and the eyes of our colleagues bore witness to the unraveling truth. As I presented the comprehensive evidence, the room oscillated between stunned silence and murmurs of disbelief. Colleagues exchanged furtive glances and superiors, once enamored by Nolan's charisma, were now confronted with the undeniable proof of his deception. The dynamics of power shifted as the truth emerged, casting a long overdue spotlight on the genuine architect of Safeguard. The revelation had a domino effect, rippling through quantum innovations and beyond. Colleagues who had been unwittingly entangled in Nolan. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. This web of deceit now rallied behind the truth. Superiors, faced with the undeniable evidence, recalibrated their perception, and the once tarnished reputation of Safeguard was restored. The confrontation marked a turning point not only in my professional journey, but also in the collective consciousness of quantum innovations. The workplace once tainted by betrayal began to heal as the shadows of deception gave way to the illuminating light of truth. The aftermath set the stage for the reversal of fortune that would redefine not only my trajectory, but also the dynamics of trust within the tech company. The aftermath of the confrontation saw Nolan Ryder facing the consequences of his actions, a reckoning that extended both professionally and personally. Professionally, the revelation of his deception led to a swift fall from grace. Colleagues and superiors, once enchanted by his charisma, now saw him through the lens of betrayal. Projects that had once been entrusted to him were reevaluated, and the tarnish on his professional reputation became an indelible mark. Personally, Nolan found himself isolated within the workplace community. Former allies distanced themselves, and the once vibrant camaraderie he had enjoyed transformed into a chilling silence. The repercussions of his ambition-fueled betrayal extended beyond the confines of quantum innovations, echoing through the industry as a cautionary tale of the consequences of deceit. On the other hand, my reputation experienced a triumphant redemption. The acknowledgement of my true contributions to Safeguard served as a vindication, and the workplace, once tainted by doubt, now recognized me as the genuine innovator behind the groundbreaking project. Colleagues rallied behind me, recognizing not only my technical prowess, but also my resilience in the face of betrayal. The transformation in workplace dynamics was palpable. Trust, once shattered, began to rebuild as the authenticity of collaboration took center stage. 
The fallout from Nolan's actions became a catalyst for a renewed emphasis on integrity and shared success within quantum innovations. Colleagues, having witnessed the consequences of deception, became more discerning in their collaborations, and the workplace evolved into an environment where talent and character were equally valued. As for how others perceived Nolan, he became a cautionary tale. A cautionary tale of the perils of letting ambition blind one to the ethics of collaboration. The once promising trajectory of his career now faced an uphill battle, and his name became synonymous with a betrayal that echoed far beyond the walls of quantum innovations. The reversal of fortune served as a stark reminder that, in the world of technology and innovation, success built on a foundation of deceit is a precarious and unsustainable ascent. In the aftermath of the confrontation, the air within quantum innovations became charged with the residue of truth, justice, and the lingering consequences of Nolan's betrayal. As the dust settled, Nolan Ryder faced the full weight of his actions. Professionally, his swift descent from grace left a trail of shattered projects and a tarnished reputation, an indelible mark etched into the once promising trajectory of his career. The tech industry, known for its unforgiving pace, now echoed with the cautionary tale of Nolan's ambition-fueled deceit, serving as a stark reminder of the perils that awaited those who let success blind them to the ethics of collaboration. Peering into the future, hints of success began to crystallize. The redemption of my reputation served as a springboard for new opportunities, and the lessons learned from the betrayal fueled a determination to reach greater heights. The story of Safeguard, once marred by deception, evolved into a testament of triumph over adversity, a narrative that resonated not just within quantum innovations, but throughout the industry. In situations like this, whether it's kind of like a science-facing thing or a comp science-facing thing, you really do have to be careful with who you collaborate with, even like professors or people that you work under. I've heard plenty of stories of them trying to steal or take credit for things that people under them did. I guess it's just another reason why they say you shouldn't work with your friends, right? That said, our next story is My Revenge Against the Media Manipulator In the dim glow of my cluttered office, surrounded by stacks of newspapers bearing witness to my years of investigative work, I found solace in the pursuit of truth. My name is David, and that was what I went by to anyone who cared to know. The flickering desk lamp cast a warm glow on the worn-out keyboard as I typed away, uncovering secrets others prefer to keep hidden. Journalistic integrity was my guiding principle, a mantra I lived by in a world often clouded by sensationalism and half-truths. Little did I know that my commitment to the truth was not as deep as I thought it was, and that I was going to find the most challenging test of my commitment shortly. When I delved into my latest assignment, a seemingly routine exploration of local politics, an inconspicuous lead, led me down a rabbit hole of deception. Names and connections revealed themselves, and the orchestrator of this intricate web of misinformation emerged, Matthias Caldwell, a name that resonated with power and influence, casting a shadow over the very foundations of the media landscape. It would be very untrue for me to act like this all came to me suddenly. It took a while, and when the whole truth was too bare for me to ignore, I knew the only thing left to do was act regardless of what it might mean for my career. In the labyrinth of news coverage, where stories intertwined like a complex puzzle, I stumbled upon the first irregularity. This subtle but persistent pattern seemed to defy the natural flow of information. 
Call it intuition or the honed instincts of a seasoned journalist, but a series of seemingly unrelated events connected in a way that raised my suspicions. Like I said, it wasn't that they were related in an obvious kind of way, I just knew from seeing them individually that there must be a connecting factor between all of them. Somehow I wished I was wrong. I really did wish so. As I delved deeper into my investigation, meticulously dissecting articles, analyzing headlines, and scrutinizing the narratives, the puzzle pieces started to fall into place. It became evident that certain stories were strategically elevated while others were suppressed, creating a distorted image of reality. The fingerprints of manipulation were unmistakable, and my journalistic instincts kicked into overdrive. With a sense of urgency, I began peeling back the layers, exposing the invisible threads that connected each manipulated narrative to the elusive puppeteer, Matthias Caldwell. My desk became a war room, cluttered with documents, photographs, and strings, connecting one damning piece of evidence to another. The evidence mounted, creating a damning tapestry that revealed the extent of Caldwell's influence over the media. Yet, as the truth unraveled before me, doubt crept in like an unwelcome guest. Could I, a lone journalist, take on a figure as powerful and cunning as Matthias Caldwell? The gravity of the situation pressed heavily on my shoulders, and I grappled with the internal conflict that threatened to erode my resolve. The risks were immense, not only to my professional standing, but also to my personal life. The fear of retribution gnawed at the edges of my determination, and I questioned whether the pursuit of truth was worth the potential sacrifices. Sleepless nights were spent weighing the consequences, but the journalist in me refused to be silenced. It was a battle within, fought in the quiet moments of contemplation, where the ethical compass that guided my career clashed with the harsh realities of exposing a man who held the reins of media influence. In the solitude of my office, surrounded by the echoes of doubt, I faced a pivotal crossroads. I was sure that it would be hard to find someone who would go on this journey with me. And to be honest, I wouldn't want to ask the reason, being that it was a path you could not figure out in the end. The end could be as disastrous as it could be a slap on the wrist. As the tendrils of my investigation extended further, the consequences of challenging the status quo became painfully evident. Colleagues, once allies in the pursuit of truth, now eyed me with suspicion. Questions about my sources and motives echoed through the newsroom, casting doubt on the credibility I had spent years building. The very foundation of my professional identity was shaken, and the air in the newsroom became thick with skepticism. Simultaneously, the tendrils of my personal life entwined with the professional storm I had unleashed. Relationships that once thrived in the simplicity of everyday life are now strained under the weight of scrutiny. Friends and family, unknowingly caught in the crossfire, struggled to comprehend the implications of my expose. The delicate balance between my commitment to truth and the bonds that anchored me threatened to unravel. Within the confines of my conscience, internal struggles intensified. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
The weight of the truth I carried bore down on me and the isolation of my pursuit became palpable. Whispers of warnings and veiled threats reached me, reminders that challenging the powerful had its price. The lines between right and risky blurred, and fear clawed at the edges of my resolve. Yet in the face of mounting adversity, the journalist in me clung to the belief that exposing the manipulator was worth the personal and professional toll. Every disparaging glance, every strained conversation, and every ominous message were battle scars. Born with a reluctant pride, the flickering lamp on my desk became a symbol of defiance, a beacon guiding me through the tumultuous storm I'd unleashed upon myself. In the quiet moments of doubt, I found strength in the echoes of my dedication to truth. The path ahead might be fraught with uncertainty, but the consequences, both personal and professional, only fueled the fire within me. The journalist in pursuit of integrity would not be silenced, even as the tempest of consequences threatened to consume everything in its wake. Embracing the tumult that surrounded me, I made a resolute decision to confront the looming darkness that threatened the very essence of journalism. The risks were daunting, and the weight of potential consequences bore down heavily on my shoulders. Yet a steadfast determination to uphold the truth fueled my resolve, overshadowing the shadows of doubt that lingered. In the quiet recesses of my office, I formulated quite a simple plan, meticulously crafting each move to gather irrefutable evidence against Matthias Caldwell. The strategy had to be foolproof, a delicate dance between revelation and protection. Every document, every connection, and every piece of evidence became a thread in the intricate tapestry of exposure, weaving a narrative that would withstand the scrutiny of the powerful figure I aimed to unveil. Recognizing the magnitude of the battle ahead, I sought solace and support within the ranks of trustworthy allies within the media. The truth is that they had reached out to me a while back, but that was at the very beginning of my movement and I was scared for two things. One is the fact that there's no way they could have gotten a hang of things that fast, and the second being that even the ones that were closer to me were pulling back. What could make a group I had never heard of suddenly interested in me and my journalism work? The answer to the latter question was that they were out to get me. At least that was what I thought before giving it more thought and research. So we forged an alliance. The alliance forged in the shadows would play a pivotal role in the impending clash between truth and deception. In the covert dance between revelation and protection, you could say that I became a master orchestrator, navigating the treacherous terrain of exposing Matthias Caldwell's manipulations. Then the time had come to unveil the carefully curated evidence. Strategically leaking information became my next move, a calculated decision to shine a light on Caldwell's dark machinations. Through discreet channels, I disseminated key revelations, capturing the attention of a public hungry for the unvarnished truth. The exposure gained momentum, each revelation a pebble causing ripples that echoed through the media landscape, challenging the carefully constructed narrative Caldwell had woven. I like to think that this part was the hardest on us. It had to be done with utmost secrecy, because it would be a slam on my journalism career, and at the same time there were a few media outlets that were not under the tight grasp of Caldwell, so it was hard to find and know for sure that they would be willing to air out our story. As the expose gained traction, attempts to discredit and silence me intensified. I mean, there was just one person that had stood up to him in a few weeks. Every attention turned to me thinking I was the one leaking out information to the public. 
Well, they weren't wrong, but you can't say that they had knowledge about it. They could have as well been wrong. Caldwell's influence cast a long shadow, and I was entangled in a web of threats, misinformation, and efforts to undermine my credibility. The storm of resistance battered against me, yet I stood resilient. Every attempt to tarnish my reputation only strengthened my resolve. The battle was not just about exposing Caldwell, it was a fight to preserve the very principles that defined journalism. The expose, akin to a wildfire fueled by the unyielding force of truth, erupted across headlines, discussions, and social media. Its flames licked at the collective consciousness of a society starved for transparency, resonating with an intensity that couldn't be ignored. The revelations cut through the carefully crafted narrative of Matthias Caldwell's manipulation, unraveling the intricacies of his deceit before a captivated audience. The widespread attention proved to be a double-edged sword. The expose's wildfire was so pervasive that even media outlets under Caldwell's sway couldn't remain silent. Faced with the relentless tide of public curiosity and outrage, they found themselves compelled to address the ongoing scandal. It was a bid to save face. A desperate attempt to prevent a potential public boycott. The unraveling of Caldwell's manipulation became a spectacle too grand to be contained. The exposure forced media outlets, even those entangled in Caldwell's web, to acknowledge the unfolding truth. They navigated the delicate balance of reporting on the scandal, attempting to regain credibility in the eyes of a public hungry for genuine information. The wildfire of truth, once sparked, became a force that not even the most influential figures could fully control. I am still yet to take credit for all that happened. I don't think I ever will, and to be honest, that doesn't really matter to me. I'm just glad that the truth was laid bare for the naked eyes to see. Plus, I couldn't give them the satisfaction of peace of mind from knowing that I was involved in the whole clash. In a situation where it seems like just about everybody is pointing their fingers at OP, does OP even have to come forward and take credit for it? If everybody has a list of suspects and OP is number one across everybody's, it's a safe enough assumption, right? Plus, I mean, canceling somebody, it's not really something that you need or should want to take credit for. At least I don't think so. Our next story is, the one time I flexed on my ex. I had always believed for a fact that money was not everything in life, and that also money does not necessarily solve every single one of your problems. I guess this mindset was probably attributed to the fact that I was born with a silver spoon, or an even much better description would be a golden spoon. My parents were beyond rich, and wealthy was a literal understatement. My father was the sole owner of various multinational industries, and calling him a multi-millionaire would be greatly understating his financial status. He was up there with the wealthy 1% in the country and even in the world. If you look at things from a much wider scope, and my mother on the other hand was no slouch as she too owned one of the most influential and top brands across the globe. And this was what she achieved on her own without the help of her family, because she also came from an absurdly wealthy family, and to no surprise, she was the only daughter and heir to all their fortune, as she was supposed to be inheriting everything as her parents wanted to live out the rest of their lives, knowing all that they had worked for was in the capable hands of their beloved daughter. But when she met my dad, she decided that she didn't want to inherit everything her parents owned, but rather she would like it to hand over to her child. This was about the time she had me, when she and my father were already married, so there you have it. A little peek into my family background and how basically right from birth, I was already loaded. 
Growing up, as it's already obvious, I lacked absolutely nothing. I had whatever I want, whenever I wanted it, and not to brag, but it was kind of a flex at the time. Like, for instance, whenever the latest game or movie was about to be released, I would already have a copy a few days prior to its release. At the beginning, while I was growing up, it was quite fun. However, along the line, things got a little repetitive, and for the most part, I was quite alone as my parents had already decided that I was the only child that they were going to have, as they didn't plan to have any more. So I guess you can imagine how lonely I must have felt at home growing up, and I couldn't have friends all too well because once people found out what family I came from, they always hide their true self, and they all appear with fake smiles and fake feelings, always wanting to get closer to me by all means necessary. It went on for quite a while, as later on I soon got tired of it, and decided that once I was done with high school, I was not going to further my educational career anymore, and I was just going to find something I would be doing, since I had my whole life ahead of me and everything. However, my mother convinced me, even though it took quite a whole lot to do so, she even began telling me the story of how she left her own parents too when she was about my age, as she was feeling like she couldn't get some breathing space because of her family's name, and how she decided to leave her home, all while telling her parents to cut her off, as she was trying to find someone who could truly understand her and how she felt back then. And that was when she met my father, who was also in a similar case as she was. And according to her, one thing led to another, and they got closer and closer to each other. And when she was done with college, he invited her to his home, and his parents, my grandparents, approved of her wholeheartedly. And that was how she came to be with my father, This was about three or four whole years before I was born, so 23 years ago. After my mother told me her story, the thought of doing exactly what she did just popped up in my mind as I was so very eager to experience what she did, and if I'm lucky, I too would meet someone that would understand me honestly, without them even having to know what kind of family I came from. And so I informed both my parents of what I'd planned, and they were all for it. But they were still insistent on sending me more than enough allowance every month, even though I told them that I wasn't going to make use of it. My mother especially never failed to put money into my account, as she said she never wanted me to lack anything while I was away. So fast forward a few months later, I was already admitted into a college of my choice, without any help from my parents, and things were going quite smoothly in the first few weeks. I got acclimatized with the school's environment and curriculum, and I also made some new friends who had no idea whatsoever where I came from and who my parents were. It was fun to be in such an environment. After having grown up surrounded by people who knew my family's background, I very much enjoyed my first year in college. But I wasn't done just quite yet, as I still had a few more years ahead of me. I had a friend who was also my roommate. Andy, who was basically in most social groups on campus and outside campus, and with his help I got to experience what normal children experience when they get into college, and also what their parents warned them against, as I was in it for the long run, either good or bad. I got to go to late night parties, hang out with friends till daybreak, engage in some recreational school activities, causing mayhem on some various occasions and even receiving suspension at other times. I was living my best life, as this is what I'd wished I'd grown up to. Just living my life without any bother or care in the world. After having done all of these, I still felt something was missing, and when the lover's month was upon us, which was February, 
I'd finally come to the realization of what I was missing out on, which was a solid partner. When it was a week and a half to the February the 14th, I noticed that everyone had someone they were planning on spending the lover's day with. Like literally every single person on campus and I was without a partner. It did not surprise me one single bit as I was well aware of the fact that I was always keeping to myself and I never really put myself out there in search of a partner. However, to my greatest surprise, I received a letter from someone who was looking to get into a romantic relationship with me a few days to Valentine's Day, as she literally asked me to be her Valentine's Day partner. I was actually surprised that anyone knew me because I'd never made myself available to anyone as regards being partners, let alone romantic partners. This just seems like a once in a lifetime opportunity and believe me when I tell you that I was not about to miss out on this. She put in her number in the letter, along with her name, and I called her almost immediately. We met in the evening the very next day after she'd sent the letter, and we got along quite well. Her name was Natalie, but her friends called her Nat. She was quite a beauty, honestly, and I often wondered why she had no date because I can almost be sure that every single guy that knew her would at least take their chances with her, but she came to me of all people. I was kind of suspicious of her behavior at first because it kind of seems like she was being somewhat fake or dishonest because I have some experience with people like that, but I chose to give her the benefit of the doubt as I convinced myself that not everyone would be like the people I grew up around. And besides, nobody in that college knew who I was apart from the vice chancellor. Matt and I got along quite well as she was one of the sweetest persons I'd ever met. She was kind, an active listener, and she knew what to say and when to say it. She understood me and I was thinking I'd finally met the person I'd always been searching for. However, I wasn't allowed to dream for long because apparently all that she had done was just for show. And I soon found out how she truly felt when my friend and roommate, Andy, told me of something he had heard somewhere about Nat and myself and about how she was only with me because her friends dared her to do so, and that she didn't really fancy the idea of losing face with her friends, and so she decided to do so. And he also told me that there was a time limit, and that she was supposed to end things by the end of the second month of meeting me, which was already getting closer and closer. I found what Andy said very hard to believe, as I just could not allow myself to come to the realization that Nat was playing me for a fool, a stupid one at that, and so I decided to confront her with what Andy had told me, but she still seemed unfazed by what i just told her, which further fueled my suspicious mind. But that wasn't the end of things, as to know for sure whether or not Andy was telling the truth, I decided to organize a little party anonymously at a club, where most of the students at college that we knew frequented. Obviously, I invited Andy and Nat, as I wanted to get to the root of everything that was happening. I wanted to be sure whether or not Andy was telling the truth or whether he was just jealous. I also set the date of the party to the exact day when it would have been two months since Nat and I met, just as Andy said. The day was soon upon us and I was already headed to the place with Andy as he was the one driving me there. When we got there at around a few minutes past 10pm, everyone else was already there having the time of their lives and I invited a few people to join in and play a game of truth or dare. This was my way of finding out the truth once and for all. The game went on as planned and I was sitting directly opposite Nat while Andy was sitting very close to me too. The bottle passed us quite a number of times before finally landing on us a few minutes after the game had started and my chance came. 
I asked her the usual question, truth or dare? And she went with truth, after which I popped the question that was on my mind in an attempt to clear things up. And to no one's surprise except mine, she actually did not deny the fact as she said I was just some sore loser and she felt I would be very easy to manipulate and that I would have no idea whatsoever what she was up to. She ended things by saying that I should be glad she even chose me, considering how run down I was. The air was quite tense for a while, and the only thing that came to my mind was how I could hurt her like she had just done to me. And what I did still surprises me till today. I called the bouncers to get the manager and right in front of every single student present there, I literally bought the entire club and ordered she be thrown out. The whole club went silent. And just like that, a huge bouncer came, picked her up and threw her out as I had ordered. It was literally chaos that night, but at least I got even with her. That was the only time I'd ever flexed my parents' money on someone, and it was worth it. Now, I'm just trying to figure out how OP could have convinced this guy to sell it right then and there. I mean, do they have, like, some kind of online bank account that they could pull open and show them, like, I have this figure literally in here ready to, like, Venmo you 54 payments for this place? Like, what? Did OP just go around walking with a bunch of bands in his jacket? I'm not understanding how this happened. But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today. Now, if you want to hear another crazy revenge story, check out that video on the left. Or if you missed my latest video, check out that video on the right. That said, I'll see you all next time with some more stories.